This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. Israel is under attack. Israel is under attack. Hundreds and hundreds of Bombs are falling on the heads of Israelis. The army has amassed on the border of Gaza. The Israeli Air Force is attacking terror in the Gaza Strip. Half the world has condemned Hamas for the first time, I think, ever. Four Jews, as of last count, have been killed in these horrendous, horrific attacks on southern Israel. A week ago, the world stood with the Jewish people saying never again during Holocaust Remembrance Day. A week ago, we yelled we would never allow another group to rise up and try to commit genocide against the Jews. A week ago, we were steadfast in demanding that the next generation of Jews and that the next generation of humans realize the evil of Nazism and ensure that it never happens again. A week ago, we stood and said, we have the state of Israel, therefore world Jewry is safe. It is impossible for this to happen again. But that was a week ago. These attacks by Hamas are not new. They've been going on since 2006, since Israel unilaterally withdrew from Gaza and took out every Jew, dead and alive, and destroyed every Jewish structure in the land. Of course, the intention at the time was peace. Israel's intention is always peace. They wanted for they wanted the Palestinians, the Arabs living in the area, to have their homeland. Here, take Gaza, have a homeland, create a country, live in peace with us. Immediately after Israel left Gaza, Gaza became a launching ground for missiles. And since 2006, hundreds of thousands of missiles have landed on Israeli heads. And the world has turned a blind eye. Since 2006, civilians have been killed. Countless civilians have been killed, maimed, injured, traumatized. Whole towns, hundreds of thousands of people have lived in bunkers. Since 2006. And the world has done nothing to stop Hamas from attacking Israel. From launching missiles onto Israel. For killing Israelis. Nothing at all. And now, in 48 hours, over 600 missiles have landed on Israeli heads. It's outrageous. It's outrageous that there aren't 
Riots in the street is outrageous that there aren't people screaming across the world for the world to do something. And it's even more outrageous that the army has been has been deployed to the border of Gaza, but hasn't been ordered to go in and take care of the problem. You see, the problem is, and this has been Israel's problem from day one, is that Israel is a moral army. And they don't believe in killing indiscriminately and firing rockets and and attacking indiscriminately into civilian populations. They're not Hamas. And that's been a problem. That's been a problem in dealing with this problem, with this issue. The fact that Israel's being careful not to kill civilians. It's being careful to preserve as much life as possible and only take out the terrorists. This is the issue. Israel hasn't sent their army in simply because they want to protect civilians. Hamas, on the other hand, has decided to embed themselves into the civilian population and attack Israel by launching missiles from hospitals and from, and from schools and from centers of civilian population. This has been their modus operandi since, the, since day one. They have, uh, they have always done this. And then when Israel retaliates and bombs a mortar site or bombs a rocket launching site, and it turns out to be a United Nations school, or it turns out to be a hospital, the world gets to condemn Israel, and Hamas looks rosy clean. It's a crazy propaganda war using real people as pawns, causing real misery and taking real lives. And the world sits quietly. This time around, at least for the first time in, in, in recent history, the United Nations, Canada, uh, well, not the United Nations, I'm sorry, I, I misspoke there. I meant the United States. The United States, Canada, and the European Union have condemned these attacks on Israel. But nobody else. Now, why, is Hamas, why did Hamas choose this particular period of time to attack Israel? Well, it's quite simple. Eurovision is being held in Israel. They wanted to destroy that. The um, Eurovision is, of course, the cultural uh, festival of Europe. It's the singing competition of Europe. And Israel is hosting Eurovision this year. Uh, it's controversial in itself because, uh, because a lot of religious Orthodox Jewish groups had to drop out uh, because they had to perform on Shabbat. Uh, there's a whole story behind that, but that's irrelevant at the moment. Hamas is attacking Israel now. Because they're coming up to Yom Hatzmut, Israel Independence Day, and Eurovision is practicing their um, their their uh, their competition, their semifinals competition that takes place after Shabbat this coming week. So uh, the artists are there and they're practicing, and it's a good time to start up with uh, with Israel. It's a good time to start a war. Now, will Israel send their troops in? Chances are they will not send their troops in. Chances are Israel will stand back and by Tuesday, by tomorrow, or Tuesday, there will be a ceasefire. And what, what a ceasefire in that region means is that Israel will stop bombing Hamas and Hamas will continue bombing Israel. That's, that's what ceasefires mean in that area. There has never been a ceasefire with Hamas where both sides have given up uh, attacking Israel always stops their counterattacks and Hamas always continues their attacks. Or they just go and rearm and then come back and, uh, and attack Israel again.
and Israel doesn't learn, and the world doesn't learn from this. There are still people out there who are saying that it is a, it is a shame Israel's Israel's killing innocent people in Gaza. There are still people who are saying this. It's kind of scary when you think about it that people are actually are actually siding with Hamas, who are launching thousands of missiles onto the heads of innocent civilians. This is a war crime. Not only is it a war crime, it's a double war crime. Because they're launching missiles onto the heads of civilians and they're hiding amongst the civilians. So they're using civilians as human shields, which is also a war crime. It is a double war crime. And the world, the world just doesn't give a damn. Now, if you're living in Israel, you know this, but North Americans don't really don't really understand the gravity of the situation. So let me explain it to you. When a bomb is launched from Gaza, there is a early warning system, a radar-based warning system in Israel, which which sounds an alarm in different areas of the country when uh, when bom- when when bombs are coming in from overhead. So. Um, the radar-based warnings give Israelis living in border towns near Gaza around 15 seconds to get to a bomb shelter. Now, because the trajectory of mortars have much less warning time, the radar system has proved less effective against short-range shells, often leaving residents with just three to five seconds to take cover. And in many cases, there are no warnings at all, and people don't have a chance to take cover. Now, how many of you do you think could could live in constant fear of rockets or mortars dropping on your head with this much short notice? To gather your entire family and flee to your bomb shelters. When Israel takes off the kid gloves and starts to retaliate in full force as their legal rights under international law, I really don't want to hear anybody, media, politicians, Facebook friends, listeners to the show, attempt to criticize them. They have absorbed far more death and destruction than any other nation on the planet ever would at the hands of this death cult. It's time to put an end to Hamas and all of those groups like it and make those who support these groups pay for their war crimes. Now, if you're living in Israel, you know this, but uh, let me me explain this to North Americans. If you're living in Sderot, which is right on the border of Gaza, you have 15 seconds after the alarm goes off to get into a bomb shelter. If you live in Ashkelon, you have a little longer. You have 30 seconds. If you live in Ashdod, there's 45 seconds. And in Beersheba, you have one minute. In Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Herzliya, Rishon LeZion, Dimona, you have 90 seconds. So you have a minute and a half. Netanya and Herzliya, you have two minutes. In Haifa, Tiberias, Beit Shean, you have one minute. In Safed and Acre, you have 30 seconds. In the Golan Heights, Naharia, and Kiryat Shmona, you have to enter immediately as soon as you hear the uh, the bomb, as soon as you hear the uh, the warning signs, the uh, the alarm. You have to enter your bomb shelter immediately because that bomb is falling on your head as the bomb as the bomb warning goes off. That is such short time to get your family together and to get yourself into a bomb shelter. Could you imagine having to do that and having to do that 10, 12, 15, 20 times a day? You might as well not even leave the bomb shelter. And that's what a lot of people are doing. They're staying in the bomb shelters. And this is a country that's supposed to be free. A democracy. Not allowed to protect themselves. 
stopped by the world as they are being attacked relentlessly by an enemy who has vowed to destroy them and to annihilate, to commit genocide upon the people there. Hamas has not stopped firing rockets and mortars at Israel since Saturday morning. So far, over 650. 115 Israelis have been treated for injuries. Four have been killed. A bunch are in critical condition. Rockets have hit kindergartens, hospitals, and the factory. Now, to my liberal friends who support progressive leftist candidates and who are critical of Israel's right to defend themselves and or supported Obama's pressuring Israel to make painful and dangerous concessions to unrepentant terrorists supporting entities. I ask, could any of you live like this? Could any of you live in fear of rockets and mortars falling through your roof with only 5 to 15 seconds notice to run to your bomb shelter? Could you live with your children crying in fear as their kindergarten is under attack by rocket fire? This, my friends, is the predictable results of what happens when you coddle terrorists and refuse to hold them and their sponsors responsible for their actions. This is what happens when you spend eight years morally equivocating between the legitimate defense of a civilian population by a democratic government and the support, incitement, and glorification of terrorists by a corrupt dictatorship. This is what happens when you claim to have your best friend's back and then you continually stab a knife into it by repeatedly betraying them diplomatically. Thank God the Obama years are over and I pray that we never, that America never elects anyone as naive and incompetent as that ever again. It is unacceptable that this kind of attacks could still be happening and that Israel hasn't gone in and taken care of it. Yeah, they went in twice, I know. You don't have to remind me. They went in twice, and twice the world has ordered them out. I hope and I pray that Israel goes in again, and this time doesn't leave until the problem is resolved. All right. In 2004, 2014, excuse me, uh, the, uh, uh, a website called Hypocritical Israel ran a story, and the story showed, uh, the story was about um, a speech that Bibi Netanyahu was, should have given to Knesset, but didn't. Uh, they wrote the speech, but uh, it is so worth sharing, because this is really how the Prime Minister of Israel should be reacting to this kind of attack. So this was 2014, so it's, it's uh, five years ago. And not much has changed in five years, but this is what the Israeli Prime Minister should have said then and should be saying now. We, the people of Israel, owe you a huge debt of gratitude, Hamas. You have succeeded where we have failed, because never before in the history of the modern state of Israel has the Jewish people been so united, like one person with one heart? You stole three of our most precious children and slaughtered them in cold blood. But before we could discover the horrible truth, we had 18 days of pain and anxiety while we searched for them during which our nation united as never before, prayers and hope and mutual support.
And now as you continue to launch deadly missiles indiscriminately and intend to maim and murder as many civilians as possible while you take cowardly refuge behind your own civilians, you continue to inspire us to hold strongly to our newly discovered unity. Whatever disputes we Jews may have with each other, we now know that we have one common goal. We will defeat you. But we are offering you one last chance. Within 24 hours, all rocket fire, and I mean all rocket fire, will cease completely and forever. I will give you formal notice that our tanks are massed at the Gaza border with artillery and air support at the ready. We have already dropped leaflets over the northern parts of the Gaza Strip, warning civilians of our impending arrival, and that they should somehow evacuate southward forthwith. If you fail to meet our ultimatum, we are coming in. And with God's help this time, we will not leave. Every centimeter of land that we conquer will be annexed to Israel so that there will never be another attack launched from our civilians from there. Even so, we will continue to keep the door open to allow you to surrender gracefully. The moment you announce that you are laying down arms, we will halt our advance. And there we will draw new borders. If you continue to attack our citizens, we will continue to roll southwards driving you out of territory that you will never again contaminate with your evil presence. It pains me deeply that your civilians will be made homeless. But we did not choose this war, you did. And if our choice is between allowing our civilians to be targeted mercilessly by your genocidal savagery versus turning your civilians into refugees, I regret that we must choose the latter. If only you loved your people as much as you hate ours, this war would never have happened. To the rest of the world, Israel has tired of your ceaseless chidings that we should show restraint. When you have your entire population under the constant missile fire from an implacable enemy who has stated goal to murder every man, woman, and child in your land, then you can come and talk to us about restraint. Until then, we respectfully suggest that you keep your double standards to yourself. This time Hamas has gone too far, and we will do whatever we have to do in order to protect our population. Hamas, once again, I thank you for bringing our people together with such clarity of mind and unity of purpose. The people of Israel do not fear the long row ahead. Am Yisrael Chai. And this is really what the Israeli Prime Minister should be saying. It's not what he said, but it's really what he should be saying. There is no reason that Israel has not reconquered the Gaza Strip. There is no reason that Israel has not gone back and said, enough is enough. We are not going to take this anymore. And we are going to attack the terrorist stronghold and we are going to destroy the terrorists from the inside out. But we all know, we all know there's a problem with that. And the problem with that is that when we destroy the terrorists from the inside out, there's another group of terrorists sitting there waiting to come up. And when we destroy that group of terrorists, there's a third group of terrorists, then a fourth group of terrorists, then a fifth group of terrorists. That the terrorism never ends. So how do we end the terrorism? What do we do? How, how do we solve this? Well, any Gentile, any non-Jew who has ever said never again and then offers solidarity to the Arabs against Israel should be called out for their lie. Never again, six million dead Jews, but a hundred thousand Jews, that's, that's, that's okay. Those who claim to be Jew lovers while they condemn Israel for, being, for, for defending themselves are as big as Jew haters as, as the people who are throwing the rockets into Israel. 
And any Jew who stands with the Arab is anti-Jewite. You can't be hateful of your own people. Seventy years ago, seventy-five years ago, thousands of rockets were fired from German planes into London, England. How did the British react? Did they sit back and show restraint? Did they say, "Oh, we uh, we we can't do anything. We have to we have to hold back." There are civilians in Berlin. No, 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 no. What they did was they carpet bombed Germany. That's what they did. 75 years ago, a group of Japanese planes flew into Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. And they bombed some military ships in Pearl Harbor. Did the Americans say, oh, we have to show restraint. We can't counterattack. No, there's nothing we could do. You can't blame all Japanese for the actions of a few. Maybe we can negotiate peace. No, no, no. What they did was they dropped an atom bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They were never attacked by Japan again. It's time that Israel took action and took decisive action and destroyed Hamas, period. It's time that Israel took care of the Gaza problem and if that requires creating refugees, if that requires emptying the land, if that requires destroying hospitals and schools, then so be it. Israel must protect their citizenship at all costs. And the hell with what the world has to say. Who cares? Who gives a damn what the world has to say? A government's responsibility is to protect their citizenship. And when their citizenship is under attack, it's the government's responsibility to protect them and to stop the attacks. Period. When civilians are dying because the government's inaction, then either that government has to be changed, and they didn't change the government. They just had an election. They kept the same government. So if the, if the citizens of Israel showed faith in that government, then shouldn't that government be doing something to protect the citizens of Israel? 700 rockets, four Israelis dead. Now, some of the key terrorists who have been killed by the Israelis, they're targeting assassinations. So some key terrorists have been killed. But shouldn't the world be screaming? Shouldn't the Jews of the world be screaming? Where are all these screaming Jews? It always shocks me. It amazes me. It, it, I'm bewildered by this. That there are no Jews screaming. That, that the silence bewilders me. It kind of scares me, if you want the honest truth. That the silence is so deafening. It, it is scary. So, what, what is the solution? I keep asking the same question. You can call me up. one 1292 What is the solution? Should Israel go in and carpet bomb Gaza and then bring in their bulldozers and wipe out the entire population there? Should Israel wipe out Hamas? But how are they going to do that? What, what is the solution? one 1292 What is your opinion? What, what do you think the solution is? What do you think Israel should do? 
Do you think Israel should just capitulate and allow their citizens to continue getting bombs on their heads? Is that is that really a um, is that really a sustainable a sustainable um, way to do things? What do you think Israel should do? If Israel goes into Gaza and attacks Gaza and takes out the terrorists, and unfortunately some civilians are going to die if that happens, will um, will the world condemn Israel? <laughs> of course they will. If Israel doesn't go in and take out the terrorists and ignores terrorism, and ignores what's going on in the uh, in the Gaza Strip, and continues to allow as they have for the last so many years. Will um will that um will that work for the Israelis? And will that be a responsible government? Absolutely not. So what is the um what is the government of Israel supposed to do? What are they supposed to do? Give me a call. one 877 I'm curious what you think the Israeli government should, ha- should do. Uh, I, I think, I personally think, that it is time for the Israeli government to do what, um, to do what they should have done a long time ago and say that they are no longer going to accept this kind of terrorism. Period. And... Since the Hamas government, and they were, by the way, the democratically elected government of, uh, of, of, the, of the people living in those areas. Hamas is the, is the democratic government. They were voted in in a democratic election. And we know it was democratic because the stalwart of the left wing, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Jimmy Carter, the former president of the United States, he actually supervised that election. So we know that the election was was a democratic election. And so if they were the democratically elected government of the people of the of the people of the living in the land of Gaza, of Judea and Samaria, of the Arabs living there, then aren't those people responsible for what they are doing? There are parties in the street, there are Arabs dancing in the street at the news that some Jews were were killed. There were Arabs dancing in the street, celebrating. I am am actually sick and tired of this. And you should be too. It is totally unacceptable. And the Jewish silence on this is even more unacceptable. I say we should have... Jews should be screaming. Jews should be jumping up and down. Jews should be yelling in the streets. There should be, there really should be, riots in the streets of Jews complaining and fighting and arguing and screaming to protect their Jewish brethren who are under attack, rocket attack in Israel. Hundreds, hundreds of rockets have fallen on the heads of Jews in Israel. And not a peep from world Jewry. A couple of condemnations from some governments, but that's pretty much it. It is, it is extremely scary. If you ask me, it is extremely scary. And I think, I think it's time 
I really think it's time that that we should be looking at serious options of transfer populations, of uh, of deportations, of getting rid of the uh, of the scum that is causing these problems in Israel. And I'm not even opposed to to killing them. And I know people are going to say to me, Howie, you're a fascist for saying stuff like a fascist, they're going to call me. But no, no, no. I'm not a fascist. And Israel, if they decide to do this, Israel is not a fascist government. Israel's government is protecting their citizens. That is their job. That is what they are there for. And those of you who can't understand that citizens must be protected at all costs, and they're not being protected when bombs are falling on their heads. For those of you that don't understand that, well, too damn bad. I think it's time that, that, the, that the state of Israel took a hard-line stand on terrorism and said, enough is enough. We're not going to deal with this anymore. We're not going to take this anymore. We can't afford to take this anymore. Nor do we want to take this anymore. How many bombs, how many years of bombs have to fall on the heads of Israeli citizens before the Israeli government says, enough. Dayenu, we said it just a few weeks ago at the Pesach Seder. Dayenu, we've had enough. How many times? one 877 is the number to call. one 877 is the number to call to get in on the conversation. I want to hear what you have to say. Do you, do you, do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? Do you, do you think that I'm, uh, I'm overreacting? Do you think that, uh, that maybe, um, maybe my solution of getting rid of the Arabs, of, of getting them out of Gaza, of saying enough is enough, is too harsh? Do you agree with, uh, with, with, the, with the anti-Israel mob who are saying that Israel is... Uh, you know, proportional, um, what do they call it? They call it proportional response? That Israel's response is disproportional? I mean, it's only, it's only, uh, it's only rockets, it's only rockets on their heads. I mean, what else? I mean, come on, it's only rockets on their heads. I mean, does that really warrant them running around and, uh, running into Gaza and, and, and taking out these terrorists? Is is that is that really warranted? Are they not overreacting? This is what people are asking. These are actual questions people are asking. It, it's shocking that there are people who are still stand behind Hamas. I don't know. I don't know. I lose faith in people. Sometimes I I just lose faith in people. I, there's there's nothing more to say about it. There's, you just lose faith in them. How could you keep how could you still support Hamas? How could you still support a government, uh, a group of people, a terror organization that was elected a government? How do you support one that's called for the genocide of, of, of a people and still call yourself a human rights activist? It's oxymoronic, it's stupid, and it doesn't work. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show Right here on the True Talk Radio Network, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, the show will continue. You can feel free to call in. Number to call, 
to get in on the conversation is one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 This is the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. This is Scientific American 60-Second Science. I'm Julia Rosen. In the last few decades, astronomers have discovered thousands of exoplanets orbiting other stars. Now, scientists want to know what they look like. Do they have oceans? Atmospheres? Researchers have even searched for signs of plant life and the glow of alien city lights, although they haven't found any yet. We've moved on from being excited about finding exoplanets to now having to get our kicks out of characterizing them. Moya McTeer, a graduate student at Columbia University and the host of the podcast, So You Think You Can Science. Last year, McTeer's advisor challenged her to find something else on exoplanets, evidence of extraterrestrial mountains, because mountains could offer clues about what's going on inside these planets. The way that those form is through the collision of tectonic plates or through lava building up in the same place over millions of years. And so that's one of the most exciting things, in my opinion, that can come out of this project, is actually being able to figure out what's underneath the surface of an exoplanet. The trick was how to do it. Modern telescopes are powerful, but they can't capture pictures of exoplanets. Instead, a common way astronomers detect them is by watching as they pass in front of their star, blotting out some of the light. McTeer riffed on this idea to find a way to look for mountains. And so what we're doing with this mountains project is saying, okay, if a planet has a mountain on it, and if that planet is rotating, then the mountain will show up in the silhouette, and the silhouette will change because the planet's rotating. So we can study that changing silhouette, that changing shadow, to get an idea of what the surface of the planet looks like. McTeer tested the technique by modeling how the rocky planets of our solar system would look through modern telescopes like the James Webb if they were far away. And we were pretty heartbroken when we found out that it wouldn't be possible. But McTeer calculated that it might be doable with something like the Extremely Large Telescope, which is currently under construction in Chile. Even this telescope probably wouldn't be able to measure the topography of a Mars-like body if it orbited a large star like our Sun. But if that planet circled a smaller star, like a white dwarf, it would block out enough light to be detectable. The research is in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. So one day soon, we may be able to confirm the existence of exoplanetary mountains. And with even better telescopes, maybe molehills. Or even moles. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American 60 Second Science, I'm Julia Rosen. This is a download from the BBC. So, my idea to change the world is to dispense with shoes. So, come on, everybody, take off your shoes and socks now. Get your most feeling part of skin in touch with all those different surfaces. It can be carpet, it can be concrete, it can be earth, it can be grass. The idea with this really is, as a feature of making the world a better place, it's a kind of act of solidarity with those that perhaps don't have the choice whether they wear shoes or not. But the fact is that our feet connect with our brains and they're an amazing perceptual instrument through which we engage with weather, with time, with temperature, with all the different surfaces and textures of our world. This is a time of global warming. Through our feet, I think we can begin to feel it. Through our feet, I think we can begin to be one people uh, standing through gravity on one Earth. That's terrific. (laughs) Thank you very much. 
You know, I had a friend at university who was studying philosophy, but also had big feet. And he gave up wearing shoes, kept it up for two or three years, actually. And as far as I remember, it was all fine, except he really had a problem with bad weather and especially snow. I think that was one of the reasons he finally got himself a pair of boots again. So not an idea for Scandinavia or Russia, perhaps. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, obviously, this is uh, this is perhaps uh, an idea that people could try one day in, in the year on a, on a, on a fair day. I, I did it for, for a year and I did manage to do it right through a winter. And it was it was an extraordinary thing. I think it's more to do with the way that you actually appreciate the distinctions between inside and outside, the way that you, in fact, negotiate your environment again in a very, very particular way. You sort of avoid puddles, perhaps, in, in, a, in a more absolute way than <laughs> if you... Poop. And dog poo. Definitely. I'm Let terrible with... I always manage to stand in the dog poo when I'm wearing shoes, but I, I didn't do it when I wasn't. Let, let's bring in Bo Lotto. Um, uh, we were hearing from Anthony about inside and outside as a neuroscientist. That's what you investigate, actually. What do you think about this idea? Are you intrigued, inclined? Oh, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Um, we, we sort of see... We're sort of, we think we're outside observers of nature, but in fact we're, we're defined by these interactions. And so to make people aware give them space to become aware of uh, what makes them uh, individuals or what, what's the basis for what they do, I think it'd be great. But I'd, I would vary it, actually. I would, I would go between shoes and bare feet because contrast is everything. And mm. what's going to happen over this year is your, your skin's going to get thicker, your, your brain's going to adapt to this, uh, this sensory stimulation. So if you want to sort of keep yourself sensitive... You want to put your shoes on, then so you put back Ugg boots on every yeah, uh, everyone, every other day. So you have to maintain the contrast. So, so you that, go through yeah. the pain properly as to get the real experience. What about you, Victor Meyer Schoenberger, someone who's interested in the virtual world? Do you like this down-to-earth idea? Um, well, I, I do. I, I spend some time in virtual worlds, and my favorite stuff there is to go parachuting in the virtual world. I get a great kick out of virtual parachuting. Uh, but I, um, but I have to confess that uh, What's landing like when you're, when you're in a virtual <laughs> depends on whether you pull the the shoot at the, 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 right, the right time. time. Um, but what I, I, I that reminded me of was um, when I um, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro a few years back. Uh, we had two guides, um, and at the end of it, uh, they had terrible shoes, uh, and I had very nice shoes. And so at the end of it, I gave them my shoes. I thought I did a wonderful thing, so make their future climbs safer and so forth. Uh, and they were very thankful. And then I went to the bathroom at the end of the, of, the, of the climb. And when I came back, I saw my guide already at the marketplace selling the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm just thinking, am I going to be stripping off my shoes and socks and striding out barefoot onto the streets of London when we finish this programme? Try it. I'm it? not Come quite on. sure. Are you, Anthony? Um, well, I will if you will. Let's okay. put it that way. What about Bo and Victor? What do you think? Would you... I wouldn't Engaging do it in this? London, but I do it. I London. do it at my house, which is down in Devon, so that's a nice space to do it. And what about you, Victor? Well, if you guys are doing it, I join. Yeah, okay, I, remember, I feel I got, I'm being roped in here. I got thrown out of the National Gallery once for not wearing shoes. I'd, I'd gone um, to attend a seminar on 17th-century landscape painting, and uh, I was barred entry. If you've enjoyed this BBC podcast, why not try others, such as In Our Time, where Melvin Bragg discusses the history of ideas. To find out more, visit bbc.com slash podcast.
This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. All right, let's get some perspective on these bombings because... uh, I think we throw out numbers and people don't understand. So let's get some perspective here. Uh, May 5th, that's uh, that's the day that we're doing the show, May 5th. In a 24-hour period, 1.7 million civilians were in danger. 220,000 children are in bomb shelters instead of schools. And over 600 rockets have been launched into southern Israel into civilian populations of southern Israel. 90 civilians have been injured and four civilians have been killed. The number of injured might have gone up since this statistic came out, but, um, but that, that's putting it into perspective. 1.7 million civilians are in danger. 220,000 children have not been able to go to school. They, instead, they've had to run to bomb shelters. And over 600 rockets have been launched into the heart of civilian populations. That's what's going on. It's as simple as that. That is what's going on. Where is the UN's condemnation on this? Where is the UN peacekeepers running to Gaza to protect the Jewish civilians of Israel? They're nowhere to be seen. It is quite amazing. The double standard when it comes to Israel, it is absolutely mind-boggling. Jewish life is cheap. Jewish life means nothing to the world. Which is why Israel has to continuously have a extremely strong army and has to not be afraid to use their army. But Israel has been afraid to use their army. So they're right now they're bombing empty buildings. They're warning the uh, the Hamas that they're coming in, and they're going to be bombing this location because they want to save civilians. And I understand the concept of saving civilians. Trust me, I get it. But I think that the policy of Israel not uh, of Israel caring about civilians more than taking care of their problem has to come to an end. I understand we don't want to be like the Nazis. I, I get the guilt. I get the guilt. I understand it. But I think there comes a time where Israel has to say enough is enough. Now, whether we have to kill civilians, I mean, it's the, it's collateral damage. It happens in war. If Hamas is embedding itself into civilians, Israel is not guilty of killing those civilians. Hamas is. And Hamas should take responsibility. Ceasefire after ceasefire doesn't work. There is no such thing as ceasefires. The only thing that ceases fire when Israel and Hamas or Islamic Jihad, because both of those organizations are now I call them organizations. It's loosely based terror groups. Both of those terror groups are now launching missiles into Israel. The only, the only thing that they understand when it comes to a ceasefire is that Israel is going to stop firing and they are going to continue killing. That is the only thing they understand. Israel has to stop pretending and trying to be the more moral 
the most moral army in the world. Sure, don't take out civilians if you don't have to. But if there is a launch pad in a civilian neighborhood, and you know it's there, warning the civilians is warning Hamas, and they're just moving their launch pad somewhere else. Take out the launch pad. If some civilians have to die, unfortunately, that's the cost of war. Unfortunately, when one side decides to embed themselves in the civilian population, the other side can't be responsible for the civilian deaths. And yes, the world will condemn Israel and the media will condemn Israel continuously. They will continue publishing lies about Israel. Lies about how Israel targets civilians. Lies about it all. But who cares? What is more important? Israel's world reputation, the reputation around the world, what people think about Israel, or saving hundreds of thousands of millions of lives? Well, what's more important? If you want to be an independent country in hostile neighborhood, well, then you have to, you have to be prepared to play as dirty as your neighbors. Because if you try to be the clean guy in a knife fight, if you try to be the guy with the, I'm sorry, let, let me rephrase that. If you try to be the guy with the knife in a gunfight, you're never going to win. That gun is always going to kill you. You can't hold the knife in the gunfight. If you're in a gunfight, you better have a bigger gun. They're firing, launching missiles into Israel. They're launching into civilian populations. I'm not saying go after civilian populations, but if you know where they are, target them and destroy them. Don't warn them. Just go out and destroy them. Give a general warning to Gaza, saying, civilians, we're sorry. We're sorry that your elected government, the people you chose to be your government, has decided to use you as human shields. We, we're really sorry about that. But we have to protect our citizenship. Now, you're dancing in the streets celebrating the death of our citizens, and that bothers us, but you know, we're very sorry that we have to go and we have to protect our citizenship regardless of you die or not. Regardless if you end up homeless or not. Regardless if you end up a refugee sitting in the sitting in the uh, in the no man's zone between Israel and Egypt or not. We don't care anymore. We used to care. We used to try to protect you as much as we protect our citizens. But now we have a choice. Your government has given us a choice. And our choice is quite simple. It's a no-brainer for us. We can protect you or we can protect our citizens. And you know what? Our citizens are more important than you. Your government's responsibility is to protect you our government's responsibility is to protect us. Simple as that. That's the, that's, the, that's the attitude Israel has to take. And if countries want to stop giving loans and people want to stop visiting the country, so be it. But the people in southern Israel cannot live in bomb shelters anymore. The children of southern Israel cannot run to bomb shelters anymore. This has been happening since 2006. 13 years. There are children who are having their bar mitzvah this year who have never known a life of not having to run to a bomb shelter in 15 seconds of a siren. Who have never known a life where rockets weren't falling on their heads. Kids who are becoming teenagers this year who have never lived in peace. Who has never lived freely in their free democratic country. 13 years, rockets have been falling into Israel, been launched into Israel by a terror group. And 13 years, Israel has restrained itself. 
Why is Israel continuing to restrain itself? Why isn't Israel going out and taking care of their problem? We had an election. Uh, there was an Israeli election just a couple of weeks ago. And during that election, many promises were made. And one of those promises made by all candidates of the election was that they would do better to protect their citizens. Well, where, where are you, Bibi? What are you doing to protect your citizens? Your army sitting on the border is not your army protecting the citizens. Time to go in and time to eradicate Hamas and Islamic Jihad once and for all. You have the technology, you have the might, you have the military power, you have the might. Just do it. Be like Nike. Just do it. Because failure to do that is a failure to protect your citizens. It's a failure of government. If you love Israel and you love your citizens, just go there and protect them. And to the citizens of the world, to the Jews living in the diaspora, why aren't you out on the street? Where is the civil disobedience? Why aren't you screaming and yelling and protesting and having vigils and rallies supporting Israel? Where are you? As usual, the silence is deafening. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. Give me a call, one 669 1292 Welcome to Come 60, to, come 60 I'm Mark Cage. When laws or governmental actions conflict with a citizen's views of what is right and wrong, the citizen faces a difficult decision. In our system of government, you have a right to try to have laws changed. There are many ways that you and others can work to change laws that you think are unjust. Until you get them changed, however, you are held responsible for obeying the laws. But suppose a law requires you to do something you believe is wrong. Must you obey the law? Some people argue that since no government is perfect, a citizen's responsibility to obey the law has limits. In their view, if a law is unjust, the citizen has no responsibility to obey it. However, deciding to disobey the law has consequences that the citizen must be prepared to accept. Such consequences might include paying fines and even going to jail. Throughout history, many citizens have accepted the consequences of disobeying the law. For example, during the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 1960s, Martin Luther King Jr., Fred Shuttlesworth, Rosa Parks, and many others chose to go to jail to protest racial segregation laws. Their sacrifices spurred legislation that eventually dismantled segregation. That's all for today's podcast, 60 Second Civics, where civic education only takes a minute. This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Christopher Intagliata. So here's the gamble. 20 bucks guaranteed or a 50-50 chance of winning 60 bucks. Which would you choose? The answer might actually be evident in a brain scan, according to a study in which researchers posed actual terms like that to 108 young adults, and the stakes were real. The initial choice and then the outcome, if they pick the bet, determine how much they'd walk away with after the study. The research is in the journal Neuron. It does work out in our favor that people are risk-averse because it means that, on average, we're going to be paying people less um, than we would otherwise. Joe Cable, 
a psychologist and neuroscientist at the University of Pennsylvania. After he and his team recorded the subject's appetite for risk, they scanned their brains using various techniques that visualize anatomy and real-time activity. And they found that individuals who were willing to throw the sure thing 20 bucks away for the chance of a higher payout were also more likely to have larger amygdalas. That's a region associated with processing fear and weighing risk versus reward. They also saw in the gamblers' brains more synchronized activity between the amygdala and another region, called the medial prefrontal cortex. But there were fewer physical white matter connections between those two regions, which might seem paradoxical. Sort of a first-pass intuition, you might expect, well, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't these two be going together? But Cable explains that even though you start out life with lots of those white matter connections, they tend to get trimmed and refined during development. So fewer physical connections between regions could actually indicate a more mature, more developed synchronization of activity between them. It's possible that within the population that we see of healthy young adults, a more pruned uh, structural connection between the amygdala and the medial cortex is, is a sign of a more developed connection and one that might be more effective or efficient and thus lead to greater communication between the two areas. This type of scanning to predict behavior is in its infancy now. But down the line, you know, I can imagine it being used to help steer people to uh, what the right uh, place to put their money is when they're when they're investing. And the study also hints at the fact that brain scans might reveal a lot more about your attitudes and your behavior than you might think. It's a good thing to keep in mind. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American 60 Second Science, I'm Christopher Intagliato. This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. When will the world stop dehumanizing our Palestinian people who just want to be free? Headlines like this and framing it in a way that just feeds into the continued lack of responsibility on Israel, who unjustly oppresses and targets Palestinian children and families. Hashtag free Palestine. That didn't come from the Middle East. That wasn't a tweet from Gaza or a tweet from Hamas. That was a tweet from Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. A U.S. Congresswoman standing up with Hamas. This is where democracy has gone. This is where the world has gone. We must stand up for ourselves because if we don't, if Jews don't start speaking up about Israel and start defending Israel in every way possible, Israel will cease to exist. We're starting to see the world electing in anti-Israel governments. People in, uh, people in government who are anti-Israel. There's three of them in Congress in the United States. Democratically elected people. We, um, we really, really, really need to start standing up, need to start speaking up, and need to start dealing with the problem of anti-Jewism, of anti-Israel rhetoric, and with Israel being attacked and the world doing nothing to protect it. If we don't scream, nobody's going to scream for us. 
and Israel will be destroyed. Quicker and sooner than you might imagine. God forbid that should ever happen. God forbid that a Holocaust should ever happen in Israel, in the Middle East. God forbid the Jews of Israel should ever be annihilated, as Hamas calls them to be. It's time for the world to step up and to condemn this terrible, vile, genocidal organization. It's time for the world to step up. It's time for us to demand it. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. We're heard live every Sunday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Right here on the True Talk Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook by going to facebook.com and searching for the Howie Silberger Show. Just click on the like button. Uh, Coming up after uh, 8 o'clock, just a couple of minutes, we'll be joined by Mark David, my intrepid reporter from Toronto, and Mr. Sheldon Eric Freed, who is my long-suffering producer. They will both be joining me after the uh, just at that just after eight o'clock, and of course we are always open to take your calls. The number to call one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. We're going to shift gears a little bit going into the uh, eight o'clock hour. Um, going to talk about some other stuff that uh, that we don't talk about uh, that we didn't talk about this hour. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world and a lot of stuff we want to talk about, and uh, we're going to get to that after eight o'clock. But uh, the lines are open, and you could call in and talk about anything at all that you want to talk about. Whatever's on your mind, you could call in. Our hearts, our prayers, and our wishes for a speedy ending to the war in Israel, to the war against Israel, is in our hearts, it's in our minds, it's in our, it's in our prayers. And we hope that the people of Israel could, uh, could, could sleep the rest of this night and wake up in, in peace and harmony. And we hope that the Israeli government doesn't fall for another ruse, another ruse of a, uh, a ceasefire, a so-called ceasefire. We just hope that, that they have sense and that God gives them the wisdom to view the ruse and to understand that peace is on the horizon. They just have to grasp at it. You just have to do what they have to do to achieve it. I'm Howie Silberger, number to call, 1-877-669-1292. It's 1-877-669-1292. We'll be right back. This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Jason Goldman. Got a minute? There's a well-known conspiracy of ravens, that's what you call a group of ravens, that likes to hang out near a zoo in the Austrian Alps. Every day, these ravens conspire to steal the food that's set out for the wild boars there. So we had a really great opportunity to really watch those individuals daily. University of Vienna cognitive biologist Markus Buchle. He spends lots of time ignoring the zoo animals and watching the ravens. What we found is that every time they come, they do those food calls, which are very typical for the ravens when they are close to potentially dangerous food resources. The ravens use these calls to recruit their buddies to show up, both to reduce potential dangers from predators and to overpower dominant ravens who might be trying to hoard all the food for themselves. 
But Buckle and his colleagues began to suspect the calls revealed other information. So we had the feeling we could say this is a juvenile, this is a sub-adult, and this is most probably an adult just by listening to the calls. If the researchers could use the calls to distinguish among ravens, then perhaps the ravens themselves could do so too. So Bukla and his team recorded the calls of around 100 known individuals, all of which had been previously catalogued by weight, age, and sex, and were identifiable by colored leg bands. The researchers combined that data with the acoustic properties of their calls and dumped everything into a computer program. And as they suspected, there were differences in the frequency, duration, and amplitude of the calls that could sort the ravens according to sex and age. The results were published in the journal Frontiers in Zoology. So the benefit is, and especially for birds like ravens who travel long distances every day, that whenever you encounter a new individual or listen to a new individual, you already are able to categorize one of the birds just based on the calls. So this really helps you to assess whether you're going to be um, in an uh, aggressive situation or whether you're going to be the most uh, dominant individual just by listening to the calls. To be clear, the researchers showed that they could categorize ravens according to their calls, not that ravens actually do so. That's what Buckle and his team are working on now. Still, the study shows that while a call can primarily refer to some external object like food, it can also transmit additional social information. And since these sorts of calls are thought of as their precursors for language, this study might shed light on how a simple system for communication can evolve into something far more complex, such as me talking to you right now. Thanks for the minute. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Jason Goldman. This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. And we try to be as professional as we can be on the show, but sometimes that gets, uh, it gets a little messed up. Uh, so those of you who are, um, who are listening to the, the couple of segments that we played in the last spot break might have heard us speaking in the background, um, at least at the beginning of them. So we apologize for that, but you got a little, uh, a little view of what happens in the background of the Howie Silberger show when we go to commercial. Um, I'm glad we didn't say anything that was uh, nefarious, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah we, uh, but yeah, we, we, we actually pretty, talked to uh, each other. We, I, I connect with Mark and with Sheldon during the during the break at uh, at eight o'clock, and uh, I forgot to hit the button to turn the uh, to turn their connection off. So you were hearing them talking to me. You weren't necessarily hearing me talk to them, which was kind of weird, I'm sure. But uh, but I thank I thank I thank a couple of you who have messaged me and said, "Hey, Howie, we're we're hearing talking in the background." So I uh, I appreciate that, and I was able to rectify that situation almost instantly. <laughs> At least we didn't say anything we shouldn't have. It was just normal talk. That's right. That's right. Isn't that always the case on the Howie Silberger show? Normal yeah. talk. Well, I well, know real talk. Really, well, real talk, really. But yeah, normal talk too. But the the honest truth is that when we when we when we connect and we 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 chat a little bit before you know during that eight o'clock break, uh, we we never really say anything bad. 
No, uh, if it, anything, it's stuff about the show. We do a little preparation. That's right. And even uh, even after the show, sometimes we, we stick around for a little while after the show and we talk. We never say anything bad either there. So, I mean, I'm not worried if people overhear the conversation because we, we're, really, yeah. we're never really saying anything horrifically bad. No. Nothing if I wouldn't say on the air. Another level of, uh, if anything, it adds another level of authenticity to the broadcast. That's right. It's nothing I would never say on the air. Like, you know, when I a couple of weeks ago when I... Um, when I, when I said that you know um, that Sheldon was boring a couple of weeks ago, because we knew that Sheldon had picked up and we were we were t- I was talking with Mark and I said <laughs> Sheldon was boring, uh, we we said it on the air too, right? We came back on the air and we we told the story. So I mean you know this stuff the stuff that happens behind the scenes we always bring to the front. Actually, we should have outtakes of some of the funniest <laughs> things that we've ever said or bloopers on the show, and, and there's plenty of them. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, my English is great sometimes. <laughs> Don't you talk good? I, I speak good English. I speak good English. You know, I'm finishing a degree in English now at uh, at Concordia University, and that's uh, kind of ironic, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really is. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Mark David and uh, Sheldon Eric Fried are here, and you could be on the phones. Number to call one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That is one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. You can <laughs> you can like us on Facebook by going to facebook.com and clicking on that like button. Well, once you find the Howie Silver Show, you can click on that like button. Um, you go to the website truetalkradio.com, and of course, you can check out the blog at howiesilverger.com. So many things you could do. Very well done and presented. Thank you, thank you, hey. thank you. I, I you gotta get the word out, and that's the way to do it. Look, look, twenty tw- almost twenty five years of doing this, and. Um, and, and I'm finally starting to get onto uh, into, into some kind of rhythm. And don't worry, listeners, we will discuss this after the show. You may hear it, you may not hear it. <laughs> yeah, yes. we'll play we'll, we'll play old time radio and we'll talk behind it, just so that you can <laughs> have to listen very carefully to hear what we have to say. <laughs> you know what we could do? We could do like a, I guess a director's cut of the old time radio. So they'll start talking and we'll start commenting on it. That's right. Oh, that's not a bad idea. We should do that. Is one that night. person really going to shoot that person? Oh okay. my gosh! Yeah. How did they do that sound effect? Oh, my God. Yeah. Did Amos just totally say that to Andy? Holy boats. Holy boats. Yes. <laughs> do not try this at home, uh, people. All right. So oh. we, got, we we do have a lot to get to. Um, you know, a lot's been going on. So uh, let's start with Mark David and um, on the mark. Oh, you're waiting yes. for the music. You're waiting for the music. Of course. Mark Hit is it. waiting for the music. Never. Nothing changes, does it? <laughs> oh, Mark. Always waiting. Always waiting, Mark. Always waiting. Good evening. Uh, welcome to On the Mark. We begin this edition with a story about a student who did the most with the least and still got full credit. When Alison Garrett was asked by her teacher to write a film review, she saw an opportunity to write something memorable. The target of her review was the 1999 cult classic Fight Club. The film tells the story of an underground fighting club where fighting is the name of the game and the rules are very stringent. At the top of the rules list is the first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. That rule, along with the title of the paper and an additional message, that's it, that's the essay, were all that Garrett wrote. 
It was a bold move on her part, which normally would land her a mark of zero. However, as luck would have it, she received 100% on the essay, albeit with a cautionary message from the teacher. I struggled over this grade for a long time, the teacher wrote. I finally decided to get a grade for a decided you get a grade for a laugh and how relevant your review is for that particular movie. Let me warn you, do not try this kind of thing with other professors. They may not have my sense of humor. I guarantee you that if I would have attempted to pull a stump like that when I was still in film school, shout out the Dawson College Syncom, I would not have fared as well as a student. Well done to her. That micro essay and subsequent mark are every student's dream. I would have given her that mark. You would have given her that mark? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's original. Because it is original. It's also true. That's right. It was a good Mm -hmm. review. It's funny because it's true. Yeah, I agree. Here's something that that, uh, is also funny and true. Uh, Responding to domestic disputes is unfortunately commonplace for law enforcement. When police officers in Brighton, Ontario, arrived to settle a spat, they found a couple of bird brains. Officers were called to a home around 8 p.m. on Tuesday after neighbors reported what sounded like a major argument going on between a couple. When they arrived on the scene, they found only one person. The other participant was a pet parrot. Okay. They heard him yelling. Well, they, they heard must him have yelling. really gone crackers for that one. Oh, Polly. Yeah. Excuse me, Polly. They heard, him yell- <laughs> they heard him yelling and saying, I hope you die, and so on and so forth. Northumberland County OPP Constable Steve Bates told the Huffington Post. <laughs> so, so we attended and we located the male of the household alone in the house, screaming at his pet parrot, who was apparently beaking off at him, in his words. The man was reportedly drunk, and the parrot had fortunately not been tarred and feathered. No charges were laid, but a few feathers were ruffled. Was the parrot drunk too? Ah, that's a good question. Must be something funky in the bird seat. <laughs> yeah, it must have been cagey. Yeah. Careful what you feed your birds, folks. Yeah. Oh, seriously. Yeah. This week's random.org random five-digit number is 66338. That number could come in handy for your lottery deeds, and if it does, the Howie Silberger Show and its staff are entitled to 60% of the winnings. That number again, 66338. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought we had this discussion already. Yes. We did. I changed it from 30 to 60. Well, why didn't you change it to 100? Yes. We're giving them the number. On On our airwaves. We are doing that. I mean... Uh, Why 60%? Yeah. Where's the other 40 going? Seriously, who's getting the 40? Yeah. Who's getting the 40? Yeah. The it's not us. Why, why are they getting the 40? Got to give them something, don't we? Why? Our appreciation. <laughs> yes. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm too nice. All right. We'll give, we'll yes. give them. Uh, here, here's, what, here's what we'll have. We'll take 100% of the money, but we'll give them four minutes on the air with us. Yes. Only four? Only four. Maybe three and a half. And we each uh, get 33 and a third. That's right. Not Not 5%. Well, not five minutes, I mean? Why would we give him five minutes? No, four minutes is fine. It's true. You can do a lot in four minutes. We're proof of that. Well, yes. You can do three and a half minutes. Yeah. And uh, we've done a lot in one minute on this uh, show. And then I'll play a Scientific America thing right after them. 
You know what? It's better than the uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not things that you were playing last year around this time. Oh, God, that was was ruthless. (laughs) Those things are older than dirt, and we were making fun of those on and off. I I still have them. I still have them. I still have them. It almost like it feels like Christmas on a radio station you and I used to work at. We used to make fun of that, too. I I could play them. I I still have them right here. I have them right here. No, 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 no. no. Howie, come on. You you, you don't want to do that to us, you know? I I think we want to... Our our goal is to draw listeners to True Talk Radio, not drive them away with that stuff. Yeah, well, exactly. I have it. Like I'm looking at it right now as we speak. Okay. I Howie, have, I have do wait. us do us both a favor. Look away from it. I have 416 yeah. of them. Yeah, look what? away from the 416. Look away. 416. You can just make a radio shot of a bunch of those. I have 416 of them. Mark, why are you giving him ideas? I'm not. I'm just wondering where did you get these things from? Who oh sold wait, them to wait, you? wait. I'm gonna put them on. I'm gonna put them on for sure. Oh no! I totally We've forgot about a monster. Them. Oh now, my god! Mark reminded what me. Mark, what have you done? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I take yeah. full responsibility for this. Yeah. Can, uh, can I finish? Yeah, my report. Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah. Well, while you're looking for that, on the mark is committed uh, to helping. I'm looking you for it. I have it words. already. Yeah, our <laughs> word of the week is Nicodonia, a noun which refers to the feeling of excitement or elation that comes from anticipating success. Use it in a sentence today and impress your friends with your whimsical word knowledge. Nicodonia? N-I-K-H-E-D-O-N-I-A. Almost sounds like Nickelodeon. Nicodonia. All right, yeah. Mark, use it in a sentence. <laughs> I always get a feeling of Nicodonia when I know payday is coming. Oh, man, you had to, you had to pause for a second. <laughs> it's the first time he's ever had to pause. Sheldon, it's the first time he's ever had to pause. When yes, I, I, I noticed that usually it's right on the right on the mark. <laughs> right on the mark, right? This, yes. time, this time he had to pause. He was like, wow, you're, you're making me do this to the side. It's almost I like you could drive pause. a truck through it through station identification. That's right. I, I had to pause for a, for, for a little brief station break, but luckily I uh, I had something in the hopper for you. I, I really, I could have um, I could have played one of those uh, Ripley Believe It or Not things. No. In that song. Yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. you don't how you don't have to entertain us like that thank you why yeah why we, need, we need we need your clever wit and great personality that's uh you know that's one thing the listeners want to hear not not the other stuff no oh there <laughs> are some parts of the world where all where those clips are considered a form of torture you don't want to yes. torture us or your listeners do you yes. there are some parts of the world where those clips are considered um current yes really <laughs> current but they're older than all of us combined yes <laughs> Uh, no, no, they no. sound it, too. No, no, older than me and you combined. I don't know about adding Sheldon in there. You know. Still older than me, Howie. Still older than me. Um, I'm not so sure about that. I, I am. Anyway, <laughs> that's it for this week. Until next time, this is Mark David wishing you good nights and good news. Your next report comes in exactly 604,800 seconds. 604,800. Is that true? Did you do the math? Yeah. Six hundred four thousand eight hundred. He didn't seconds. pause there, Howie. I guess he did the math. I did the math. Six hundred four thousand eight hundred seconds. Do you know how long that is? That would be a week. Yeah, that would be correct. Uh, Mark uh, was o- Mark was always good with rods. What? Exactly. Abacus. Abacus. I had to whip out the abacus and uh, and uh, you know push some beads back and forth, but. I got my answer. I never understood how abacuses worked. Uh, I, I don't get it. I mean, like you know. I don't either. I used to love them when I was a kid, and I I knew it was for adding, but I honestly had no clue how those things worked. I have no idea how those work. If anyone knows, give me a call one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. All right, well, guys. You used them in ancient times to keep track of things, but I don't know how that was done. 
All right, gentlemen, I have a question for you. Um, we know that uh, Israel's under attack. That's what uh, is. That's what I spoke about for the first hour of the show. Um, uh, uh, we are coming up to now to uh, Israel Independence Day on Thursday. Will be Israel Independence Day. There are rallies all over the world. Would you be afraid to go to an Israel Independence Rally today uh, on Thursday? Absolutely not. I would go. If I wasn't working, I'd go. You would go? I would go. I've gone to one before. In fact, when we were at the other radio station, I was actually doing live hits for one. It was uh, one of the first times I'd ever been to one. I enjoyed it. They told us, you know, be careful of detractors. Uh, Don't fuel the fire. Ignore them. Enjoy yourself. I was given a a full-size Israeli flag to wear. I think I still have it back in Montreal. Wore it as a cape. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad I did it. And uh, we got some good... uh, for the radio station. And Sheldon, what about you? Would you be afraid to go and uh, support Israel on the street? Absolutely not. I would go. I would uh, have no problem going whatsoever. What about you, Howie? Oh, yeah, I will be there on Thursday at uh, at the local one because um, because why not? Because I yeah. support Israel and I'm not afraid to be a Jew in the streets on any city in the world. See, that's no what people should. that that's what people that causes fear, wants people not to go, wants people not to, to be afraid, wants people to keep looking over their shoulder and want to disrupt people's lives. But if you continue to do exactly what you've always done and not be afraid, then the terror, then the people that cause these kind of uh, horrific evil uh, will not win. Well, the second that you change the style of life, the way you live, the terrorist has won. Yeah, that's that's their whole idea. The second you're afraid, they have won. Yeah, and you can't be. And look, for I, I, of all people, I know that you would go, Howie. But look, look how many uh, look the adversity that you've had at uh, Concordia and uh, and other situations. And you you were never never backed down from anything. You were always a man of conviction, and you're always a man that believed in the Jewish faith and believed in yourself. And believe that you're, you know, to be proud to be Jewish. Uh, yeah, I've been doing that since I'm a kid. And, uh, and uh, it's never gonna I'm sure you know people that obviously are scared, you know, are scared to, you know, scared, scared to go to synagogue, scared to put a keep on, scared, to, you know, worried about uh, showing their, you know, their star of David, uh, you know, but you're not. And you, you, assembly, you exemplified exactly what it is to stay true to your roots, to stay true to your word, and to be strong. I don't know if it's the epitome of, uh, of, of being proud or the epitome of being stupid. It could be one of it could No, be it's, 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 not, it's not being stupid. It's being proud. It's the terrorists that are stupid. It's not, it's not you have the, all, all the right in the world to be proud and not to be ashamed. We're not stupid for supporting Israel. They're stupid no. for trying to stop us from doing exactly. that. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. So you're not stupid. You're you're a man of conviction and you're a man of honor. Uh, yeah, I, I try so to go, be. I try to be. Um, so go, go to that uh, that rally and do exactly that. I, I'm going to. I'm going Good. to the rally. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a hefty police presence there. I can't imagine there won't be. Yeah, because there's going to have to be. But uh, I know recently in our neck of the woods they had. Uh, uh, they they had the uh, the Bill Twenty One protests, and they had people for and against it. And there were about four or five people arrested. Uh, the police arrested four to four to six people 
Uh, I don't know who got arrested what, like on which side or whatever the case is, but obviously, but there was a police presence there, and I'm sure there's going to be a police presence, a solid police presence this Thursday. Well, you know, I um, it's unfortunate that we need a police presence, that we can't just go and celebrate without a peace pre- without a police presence without the uh, without the illusion of danger it's it's very sad see the the people that cause the danger they're the ones that are stupid yeah but they're the ones who are winning too yeah but the thing is we as a society cannot afford to let that happen all right yes, sir. gentlemen we have to take a little break when we come back the howie silver show continues you could be did i say show there i don't know <laughs> the howie silver show continues you could call in the number to call one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com, Search for the Howie Silberger Show and click like. And um, and uh, what else was there? You can visit the blog at howiesilberger.com. dot um, uh, Follow me on social media at Mark E David. You can or, do that too. Uh, yeah. On Instagram at Mark E David Seven. Exactly. Uh, what so- happened to the other six? Yeah, well, whatever. Well, <laughs> so many things you could do. But we're going to take a little break. When we come back, the Howie Silberger Show continues. The Howie Silberger Show continues. What was that? What's your name? I don't know. Okay. When we come back, the Howie Silberger Show continues right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Truth is stranger than fiction. And this is the proof. This is Ripley's. Believe it or not. <laughs> Marshal Suvorov, one of Russia's most celebrated military leaders, personally awakened his soldiers by crowing like a rooster. Believe it or not. In a moment, I'll tell you about a Canadian, Joan of Arc. Heroics in the time of the early wars with the Indians were as commonplace as the wars themselves. But one instance of supreme heroism belongs to Madeleine de Verachet, who successfully defended Fort Dangerous near Montreal against a fierce attack by 50 Iroquois Indians, aided only by her two younger brothers, an old man and two soldiers. She held out for eight days until reinforcements arrived. Madeleine was a mere 14 years old. Believe it or not. This is a download from the BBC. My bright idea is for those in the developed world to fast one day a week. 336 million people worldwide now have type 2 diabetes. And this is not good because it increases the risk of heart disease, stroke, blindness, kidney failure and amputation. And it causes one death every seven seconds. In the UK alone, we spend a staggering million pounds an hour on treating the disease, almost 10% of the healthcare budget. The recent explosion in type 2 diabetes is driven by the obesity epidemic, and the best way to solve the problem is for everyone to maintain a sensible weight. We all know what we have to do, eat less and exercise more. But most of us don't find it easy to calculate calories or eat the right size portion of food. Fasting is cheap, simple and has a long tradition in many cultures. Obviously it's important to check with your doctor before doing so and to take plenty of fluids, but fasting for one day each week may make us healthier, happier and longer lived. Perfect, Francis. Perfectly timed as well. Now, as you as you said, for many people, this idea of fasting is one which is very much part of their lives. Ramadan has recently uh, finished, for example. Is is diabetes, obesity, is that a is that a global phenomenon? Diabetes is a, definitely a global problem. That's what I was trying to say. We currently have a pandemic of of diabetes. Um, it's 
increasing massively in places like India and China. And this is where we can expect the, the greatest rise in the next 20 years or so. Miha, would you, what do you think of Francis's idea? And, and also, more important, would you do it yourself? Um, I don't know. I, I exercise regularly. I was just uh, doing a run before I uh, came. I don't know. I eat moderately. Not so much meat, let's say. And uh, But you can't see yourself I, going the whole way to a fast one day a week. I think this is, uh, it sounds to me as like an extreme, you know, and I think you shouldn't really be doing ex- extreme situations to your body or uh, extreme conditions. It, just stay moderate. Isn't it the case, Francis, that one of the reasons people think that fasting might work is actually that this is how we've evolved, that for most of our evolution, having periods of time with no food at all was, was natural to us? Uh, well, of course, and evolutionary, we're programmed to eat simply because we haven't had food available to us all the time and that's the problem that we run into now when high calorie food is widely available but I should say there's another reason why people are suggesting that perhaps we should eat less or fast one day a week and that's not simply to lose weight it's also this idea that reduced calorie intake enables you to live longer if we look at animals if animals take less calories than they would normally do they live for longer and there is accumulating evidence, I would say, that the same is true for primates, such as monkeys and also humans. So some of the longest-lived people in the world are the Japanese people living on the islands of Okinawa, and they have quite a significantly lower calorie intake than, for example, most of us in the UK do. If you've enjoyed this BBC podcast, why not try others, such as In Our Time, where Melvin Bragg discusses the history of ideas... To find out more, visit bbc.com slash podcast. This is Scientific American 60 Second Science. I'm Annie Sneed. Humans are hardly alone in their need for sleep, as any cat owner knows. But what about other very different animals? In thinking about this, we wanted to use an evolutionary argument to figure out what is the simplest animal to sleep. Ravi Nath, a graduate student of biology and bioengineering at Caltech. To sort of approach it from a conservation point of view, like how conserved the sleep state is, and looked back into the animal tree and specifically looked at jellyfish. Claire Bedbrook, also a biology and bioengineering graduate student at Caltech. Jellyfish have no central nervous system. They do have neurons. Their nervous system is a sort of loose net of neurons that control the animal's behavior. There's no control center. Nath, Bedbrook, and the rest of their team worked with a species known as the upside-down jellyfish. Unlike jellyfish that we're probably most used to seeing in the wild, these jellyfish actually rest their bell on the sort of sea floor, or in our case, the tank bottom, and they pulse in place. These habits made this jellyfish easy to observe. The researchers recorded the animal's behavior during the day and at night to see if these jellyfish met the scientific criteria for sleep. So those three behavioral criteria are first that the animal goes through a period of quiescence where they are less active. The second is that during this quiescent stage, the animals are not as responsive to environmental stimulus. And the third is that this quiescent state is actually necessary for the animal's well-being and survival. The observations revealed that these jellyfish do in fact sleep. That's a big deal because for scientists... There was this assumption in the community that 
you needed to have a certain level of complexity. Namely, a central nervous system. To actually sleep. And I think this study really challenges that assumption. The finding is in the journal Current Biology. So what does this study tell us about why animals sleep and how sleep evolved? Bedbrook says that although more work needs to be done, they have some ideas. One hypothesis that we really like is that any animal that has neurons will have a sleep state, and that sleep might be an intrinsic property of neurons. Nath agrees. So neurons have a huge metabolic cost, and so maybe this period of sleep is a period of consolidated energy conservation that has evolved with neurons, essentially. So nerves might be keeping you up at night, but having nerves is what's probably putting you to sleep. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Annie Sneed. This is the Howie Silbinger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. Well, I have to tell you that the sound quality for that Scientific America stuff has gotten better and better over the years. I'm so happy to hear that they've upgraded their technology. It's it's amazing. All right, it's time right now for Sheldon, Eric, Freed, and Centerblock here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Thank you, Howie. My Centerblock center topic for this evening is, can we really deny climate change? Well, Howie, there is no doubt that the weather has been changing. It does not make a difference on where you live. The ice is melting at a very rapid rate in the Arctic as well as in the Antarctic. There have been devastating floods, earthquakes, etc. around the world. No matter what side you may be on, whether or not you're for climate change or whether or not you think it's a joke or a fantasy, there is no doubt that the weather is changing. It is a matter of the degree of the weather change and exactly what the impact will be. Even if we were to all stop and implement the biggest changes in our habits, whether or not it is the carbon emissions from our cars, factories, the depletion of our ozone layer, which is only now in the process of repairing itself, or methane gas from our animals, that we will never see the change in our lifetime. It will only be for our future generations, but we need to start and act now. Governments around the world must take action as climate change affects us all and can have major effects on our future generations. We as a society has failed to protect our planet as well as the people who live and share in its natural resources. The planet has a lot to offer. However, it is all of our responsibility to be accountable and take action. We must pressure all of our politicians around the world to take action and commit fully to the preservation of life on earth. Everyone must all be on the same page and be all in if we have any chance whatsoever to counteract and prevent any further damage to our planet as well as to our inhabitants and our natural resources. For Center Block, I'm Sheldon Eric Freed on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Thank you very Thank much, you Sheldon. Very Thank much, you Sheldon. Very-
I uh, I appreciate that, and uh, I agree with you. It's time to implement the uh, Green New Deal. Let's let's get rid of farting cows and and trains. Trains fart. Apparently. Oh. Uh, I was saying that facetiously, Sheldon. I I, I really think um, I really think that the Green New Deal is kind of idiotic when you read it. Yeah. Well, there has to there has to be more to it than that, anyway, because you know what? It's if. You know, it's like everything else. If you have like 50 or 60 percent that are for and the other 40 percent are against, that's not good enough because well, the problem is, Sheldon, that the, the scientists haven't agreed that uh, that yeah. that this is a problem. Exactly. They're, they're, and the thing is, they have to be. That's the thing. And they have to reach a consensus. Now, now, if there are scientists out there saying that this is not a problem and this is a manufactured problem, uh, it, a manufactured problem, what I mean is that um, that not. Not that the that not that we're manufacturing climate change, but just a manufactured problem that is made up. Um, then, do we really have to do anything? Now, can you uh, can you honestly say though it's made up? I mean, if you take a look at just the weather patterns, even where we live, uh, never mind other other places around the world. All right, so let me ask you this: I understand what you're saying. Let me ask you this: mm-hmm. um, the world, the Earth, Earth lived through a lot. It's been, it's been around a lot of years. And mm-hmm. uh, at one point, there was a Stone Age where it mm-hmm. was sunny and hot and most of the world was a desert. And then there was an Ice Age where it was really cold and killed off a lot of, uh, a lot of vegetation, killed off a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of animals, a lot of, uh, a lot of extinct animals in, this, in the Ice Age, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so to go from the hot Stone Age to the cold Ice Age, that was a, a drastic climate change. There weren't cars and trucks and, uh, and buses and farting cows around at the time. So... Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the world goes in cycles. This all works. It's all secular. So, you know, climate's always moving and it's, it's a natural progression of climate. So mm-hmm. what if we're just living in a time where climate is shifting? It's very possible, but also don't forget, you're also talking about um, a very, uh, you're talking about increased population density. Yeah. And you're talking about uh, different technologies and you're talking about But once again, you know, we like, like years ago we there don't were know. not as many cars as they are now. Once again, once again, we don't know what the technology was uh, 10,000 years ago or 20,000 years ago. Well, it's certainly not like it is today. How do you know? They found copper wiring at Stonehenge. How do you know? If it's just if it's copper wiring it's one thing, but is it everything else is it the factories that are uh, that are admitting that are admitting this kind of thing? What about waste dumps going into our waters? Who knows? I mean, you know, like e- like even years ago, if it did happen years ago, that wasn't exactly great either. Um, and the thing is, you know, we, we have to seriously, it's, and it's up to governments around the world and scientists alike, like, and, I, and I agree with you, because scientists are the ones that would implement change and would have to come up with a series of studies and, and uh, all these uh, different information on data. You know, it. Uh, you know, obviously, it's not going to take overnight. That's why I said it's not going to. Even if they were to start tomorrow, completely re- revitalizing the climate change, it's we're not going to be around to see any specific changes. You know, it's going to take hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for any kind of improvement, if anything at all. I mean, all so like these, I was these, saying. So these idiot senators in the states that came out and said there's 12 years left to the world are they full of it? Well, look how many years they were predicting the end of this world. I mean, let's put it this way. Uh, there was predictions 5, 10, uh, and, many, and many other years behind that they said it was going to be the end of this planet. 
And the thing is, well, you know what? It's fine to it's fine to predict it, you know, and and, and this and that. If it happens, there's going to be nothing we're going to be able to do anyway. Because if it's the end, it's the end. It doesn't make a difference where we're going to be. We're all going to we're all going to be affected. I'd like to I'd like to be a little bit more positive to say no. I don't think that's going to happen. But they've been predicting the end of this planet. How many years, Howie? They've been predicting it for so many years that they well, the Mayans the Mayans predicted that the world would end in what was it, 2012? Was that Mark? Yeah. Mark. Uh, that's correct, 2012, and there yeah. was a man named Harold Camping who was uh, always speaking of the rapture. He since passed on, uh, uh, and he was the director of a, um, of a family radio, a Christian broadcasting network in the United States, and he said, oh, yes, the end of the world is coming on a specific date in 2012, and everyone rolled their eyes collectively uh, because when that date arrived, uh, nothing happened. Then he except, for the release, except for the release of a whole bunch of end-of-the-world movies. Yeah, look how many that, look how many years they were also predicting the big one for California. They were predicting that 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, I remember I remember thirty years ago, at least thirty years ago, hearing yeah. that um that you know California was gonna drop off the uh, United States, that it was gonna separate because mm-hmm. because of these ice uh, because of ice and because of water, that the California, the, the state of California would be separating, it would be like come an island. Uh, I heard that years ago. And yeah, right. they were saying it was always the big one. They were always saying it's been the end of, end of the world. And, uh, you know, like, uh, you know what? People could predict all they want and they could have all, you know, they could say, yeah, well, we have this research, we have that research. Let's put it this way. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen and there's nothing anybody can do about it. I mean, you know, so, you know, like, why do these people predict the end of the world? What do they expect us to do? To uh, hail a ship and go to another planet? I don't think we're we're there yet. I don't know. My my, my philosophy has always been my philosophy has always been that when my time is up, my time is up. Yeah. And there's nothing I could do to change that. Nope. Whatever it is up, it's up. That's the way I look at it. The so end I'm, of the world will happen someday, but it won't be in any of our lifetimes. It'll be millions and millions of years away. No, I think millions of years. All right, I, I could I could live with that. Uh, it's not happening tomorrow, and it's not happening next week, and it certainly didn't happen uh, seven years ago. Judaism says so, uh, Judaism says that the end of the world comes in the year six thousand Jewish time. Um, so, what year are we in now? Jewish Jewish year fifty seven seventy nine, I think it is. So, how many years does that leave us? Uh, Another two hundred and some odd years. Well, there you go. You know what? That's not going to be end of the world. That's going to be Y six K. It's going to be uh, you know we had the same problem with Y two K. Well. Jewish calendar is going to experience some Y6K. I'm, don't you remember when the Y2K came out? That, oh, there was so many things. Oh, it's going to be the end of the world, and it's counting down, and this and that. And then I, I was, I will admit, I was one of those paranoid people who thought everything was going to hell in a handbasket. But when the clock struck midnight on January first, two thousand, exactly nothing happened. Yeah, the clocks all changed. Yeah, yep. the clocks changed, which was expected. Nothing blew up. Nothing went crazy. Everything was completely fine. It was the same as it was on December 31st, 1999. Yeah. And everyone's like, you can stop worrying now. The world will will be okay. So will you. There will be no problems. And here we are almost 20 years after that. And, uh, hey, we're still here. I'm still here. You're still here. We're all still here. I, I'm still here. Yeah. Wouldn't Sheldon, are you still here? You. Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. And we're hearing those wonderful broadcasts you keep playing. Yeah, it wouldn't be much of a show without uh, us here. Uh, yes. Although uh, I, I could probably live without those uh, broadcasts that were recorded with what appears to be a potato. Yes. <laughs> Scientific America. 
Yeah, if there's if there's so there was nothing scientific about it. No, you you would think an organization such as this would have access to uh, quality equipment to uh, make their broadcasts, but apparently uh, that was not in the budget. They spent it on other things, yeah. like quirks and quirks and who knows what else. Yeah, they spent a lot on Jiffy Pop popcorn and stuff. So uh, yeah. then they spent a lot on potatoes. Yes. Yeah. Apparently. But I like potatoes. Potatoes are good. Yes. I do too, but you shouldn't record audio with them. Oh, come on. So listeners, so listeners, be aware that Howie Silberger, you've heard it here first at 843.30, loves potatoes, people. So I do love potatoes. It's important What's to remember this. What's wrong with I potatoes? Like Absolutely nothing. They're great. You got a problem nothing. with potatoes, Sheldon? No. no one, you know what? They're one of the most versatile things you can eat because yes. if you're good at cooking, you can make anything with potatoes. That is you true. French fries. You can make uh, hash browns. You can make latkes and Hanukkah. All sorts of different. So things. we're just going to most... you're just going to kind of list things that you can make with potatoes, Mark. I, I could, I could, but uh, we have better things to talk. Yes, about. Yes, we do. We, we could... See, he's on the potato instead of on the mark. Let, let's let's go to Melbourne, Australia, and uh, Nathan. Hi, Nathan. Hello, Nathan. Hi, Sheldon. Hi, Mark. And Hello, hi, Nathan. Uh, and uh, hi, Howie. Oh, he almost forgot yeah, my I'm name good, there. Thank you. I'm good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, terrific show. Enjoying it, uh, Howie. You were speaking earlier about not to be afraid to go to Israel uh, celebrations for Yom Haatzmaut. That's not going to stop me from going because we're having a very, very big celebration in Melbourne, Australia, and our radio station will be broadcasting from the celebrations. Wow, cool! So, are you are you going to be broadcasting from there, or are you just going to be attending? Yeah. Uh, no, we'll be broadcasting. It's going to be a free event. Uh, it'll be on a um, on a race course uh, pavilion, and the Jewish community will come uh, come together. Uh, it'll be free entry, and it'll be going for about five hours. Wow! So it'll be about uh, in the mid afternoon to the late evening. So tell me, tell me Nathan. I've done it last year yeah how much how much security is going to be there go on how much security is going to be uh, there? it's going to be heaps of, uh, there will be heaps of security not to worry yeah yeah it's kind of sad that you have to hire extra security yeah yeah and also how we uh actually before your mouth's moored i think you forgot to say that it's going to be your massacre for the fallen soldiers you're right you're right. We have to remember the soldiers that fell defending the state and th- that will fall defending the state uh, in the next couple of yeah. weeks. And, 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 and also, Howie, I just want to say that I agree with you 100%. This ceasefire, they come and go. It's not going to... It, it will hold for a little while and then we'll be back to the same old, same old. Enough is enough. So what, what is the solution, Nathan? What do, you, what do you think the solution is? It's, it's, it's a $64 million question. The solution is that Israel should have finished off the, um, the Hamas and the, uh, uh, the Islamic Jihad. They are calling the shots. Egypt is in the middle um, um, mediating the uh, ceasefire. And every time you have to go back to Egypt, Egypt has to be the, the pawn in the middle to try and and get the sides to agree to a ceasefire. And Israel is 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 the um, is the guinea pig. It's 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 been dictated by the terms of the 
of the radical Islamic uh, Jihad and also Hamas. And I can't see any way out of this conflict. Uh, uh, Israel, I, I don't know um, what's going to happen, but to put, put, to put boots on the ground, a lot of uh, the... Uh, there'll be a carbonus of soldiers uh, um, of the IDF uh, could, uh, uh, could get killed. But what's, what's, what's the alternative, guys? Well, that's the question. What is the alternative? Uh, there's no, there's no answer to it. There's no set answer because otherwise, it would have the, the we would have had the answer and things would have been done. Uh, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. I mean, no matter what, Israel gets blamed in so many aspects. It get blamed with the United Nations. The media blames Israel. So everybody's against Israel. Uh, you know, except for you know the. Uh, you know, except for us, you know, except, you know, except for the United States and other sophisticated countries around the world that support Israel. But, you know, they're in a situation whereby they're really, they're, they really have their backs against the wall and they don't have a choice. And people want to know, like when, in, when Israel kills people, they don't have a choice because if they don't defend themselves, their own citizens are going to get killed. Exactly. So what and are you going to do? Like what, what civilized country like Israel, right, has to put up with this? If it was America, if it was Russia, if it was Canada or Australia, they wouldn't put up with this. They would not put up with this. Not at all. Well, well, look, I remember the situation with Iraq when Iraq was firing Scud missiles into Israel, and Israel wanted to defend themselves, and Bush said, "No, you're not to you're not to defend yourself." And Israel didn't defend themselves, yeah. and a lot and a lot of people died, or injured, or were injured because Israel Correct. listened to Correct. the United States. Yeah, and I think that Israel, I, if if I was in Israel case, I would say, you know what, the hell with the United States. We have to defend ourselves. We have to defend the people that are living in our country. That's uh, that's the way I see it. You know, we, we. I mean, there's no choice. I mean, nobody. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm against violence like anybody else. But if but if you're going to be subjected to rockets and bombs and, and blasting and, 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 you know, thousands of people are losing their lives. You have no choice. The, uh, there, there is not an option and, and here. It's all, and, it's, and it's also coming from one source, guys, and it's definitely coming from Iran. Iran are supplying the military hardware to the Hamas and the Islamic uh, uh, Jihad. And uh, and you know a, a government's job is to protect their citizens. Failing to yeah. do that, they're not really a government. Yeah, they they have to do like Netanyahu yeah. has to say, "Look, enough is enough. I'm not listening to the Americans. I'm not listening to the to the other countries. We have to defend ourselves. We're not going to allow missiles to come in and kill our kill our." Our civilians, our citizens. Well, for the first time, uh, for the first time in a long time, the U.S. president says we support Israel 100 percent with whatever they have to do to defend themselves. Well, it's about time. It's about time. Correct. Uh, it's about time. Yes. Hamas offered a ceasefire. Yeah, but they're offering a ceasefire is like is like putting oil on gas. Well, yeah, th their ceasefire is that Israel ceases to fire and they continue. <laughs> That's the exactly. Ceasefire. That's exactly what it is. So what's, uh, uh, you know. Uh, and it's like putting a bandage on a wound. Yeah. Nathan, thank you so much for calling. I appreciate it. And good luck with Thanks, your broadcast guys. and your Matsuot. Thank you. Great show. Thank Take you so care, much. Take care, guys. Take Bye -bye. care. Thank you. Take care, Nathan. Bye.
That was uh, Nathan from Melbourne, Australia. You could be on the show too by calling one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Be like Nathan. Join us on the air. Um, uh, yeah, Hamas ceasefire is basically uh, Israel ceases to fire, and Hamas continues to fire. That has been the uh, experience of the Hamas ceasefire uh, every time they they get into a little skirmish on the border. It's uh, it's a terrible thing, really. Well, Israel's Israel Israel knows better that they're not going to trust Hamas with any ceasefire. Yeah. So, imagine you're sitting in your with your spouse in the kitchen, and your kids are playing on the living room floor. Suddenly, a blast of bullets comes flying through your living room window from the neighbors across the street, shattering the glass. Before your shocked kids have a chance to respond, a grenade comes through the window and takes one of them out, and another one, yeah. and then another one. Now imagine this goes on for 24 hours. Now imagine this happens every few months for decades and decades. Finally, someone runs into your kitchen and screams, why are, why are you parents just sitting there? Call the police, call the army, go get your guns. Why do you, do you defend yourself? Because, you answer, doing the best to sound reasonable, if we defend our house and our children, what will the neighbors say? You know the definition of exile? Not having the courage and sanity to defend your children because of what others think of you? Mm-hmm. Exile is not a geographical challenge. It's a psycho-spiritual one. It's when an individual or people allow themselves to be diminished to the point where they become completely disconnected from their own power, potential, and purpose. So much so that they have no longer choose to fully stand up for themselves, even when they can, even when they continue to pay the ultimate price. And uh, Israel and the Jewish people are in exile. And this is why Israel has not defended themselves in the 20 years. It's... It's, 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 it's sad. 2006, Israel pulled out of the Gaza Strip. 2006. It's a long time ago. And ever since they pulled out of the Gaza Strip, bombs have been landing on the heads of Jews living in southern Israel. And yes, they're, they're launching bombs from mosques, and they're launching bombs from schools, and they're launching bombs from hospitals, and they're embedding themselves into the civilian population said when Israel retaliates they kill civilians and they can hold up the civilians as propaganda tools to say look at the look at the murderous Israelis killing innocent civilians and the world sits by and says nothing it's 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 the saddest thing in the world it's really scary and sad and, and terrible it really is and it's time for it to change it's time for Israel to say I don't care what the world thinks it's time for us to do what we have to do to protect our civilians do what we have to do to end this menace and go in there and do it. Uh, you know, nobody wants to lose soldiers. Nobody wants to lose young lives. But if you have to lose soul, if you have to lose young lives to save other lives, that's what armies are for. And uh, I hate to say it, but that's what it is. It's just too bad it has to be that way. But really, what choice is there? You have no choice. Yeah. You have well, to protect no yourself. Yeah. Uh, without protecting yourself, uh, what's the point in having a country? It's like. Um, it's like uh, here. It's like, uh, it's like here and anywhere, right? Uh, if you want open borders, then what's the point of having a country if you don't have borders? If you don't have borders and you don't have uh, protection, you don't protect yourself from, uh, from incoming bombs, what's the point? What's the point in having a, uh, an army if you're not going to use it to defend your citizens? Uh, that's the way I see it. I, I could be wrong. I, I, oh, no, I, I agree with you. But, but that's the way I see it, and I think that it's That's time. the only way you can see it. That's the only way. There's yeah. no other option. And it's time that Israel did what they had to do to end this menace. 
It has to end. It has to be ended. And stop worrying about what the UN thinks because the UN is against Israel anyway. So stop, you know, like, like I Israel, said. Israel has to be its own. Look, independent was uh, Israel is an independent country. They have to act independently with their decisions, especially to defend their citizens. And even if they don't act independently, if somebody broke into your house and was threatening your family, you would do everything well, in your power to absolutely. protect your family. Yeah. And if they broke into your house for decades and attacked your family for decades, you would do whatever you could to stop the attacks. Absolutely. You have to. So this is what Israel has to do. It's not what Israel wants to do, but this is what Israel has to do. No sophisticated, sane country would want, wants to do that. But when you, when you have very limited choices, when your back is against the wall, you have to defend yourself. That's it. That's all. And uh, I'm sorry for, for all the lefties out there who, who don't agree with us. I'm really sorry you don't. But too damn bad. I really don't care. Well, it's the same thing you would ask the lefties. If, if your family was threatened and somebody were to come into your house. Yeah, would you try again, to negotiate? What, what, what are you going to do? What, you're, you're not going to negotiate with them? You're not going to, uh, you know, try, to try to organize a ceasefire? You're you not can't negotiate with, with people that are, that are sick like that. You it, can only negotiate with the, with the people who want to negotiate with you and fully want to negotiate with but, you. But you here, cannot here, negotiate here. with somebody that has this kind of intention. But here's my question. I mean, what are we negotiating with? What, what would Israel be negotiating with? A, uh, an organization that has called for the... Destruction of Israel. For the destruction of their country and the, and the genocide of their people. What are you negotiating? Please don't kill us? Yeah, because they're going to do it anyway. You know, when, um, when, 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 a, when an enemy comes and says, I want to kill you, I hate you, and I want to kill you, they're, they're not mincing their words. And, and no, there's no reason it. not to believe them. If, if they're telling you they want to kill you, they want to kill you. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and why people would think that, oh, they didn't really mean that, they meant this. No, 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 they meant that. If they said, well, I want to kill yeah. you, they mean, I what, want to kill you. With so many years of, of Jewish people dying, maybe in the Holocaust, maybe, you know, the, uh, the Arab-Israeli conflict, the Middle East crisis and everything like that. I mean, obviously... It's not a question that one person was killed and one person too many. They've been killing for so many years. They've been they've been decapitating decapitating people. They've been they've been bombing people. They've been sending missiles into the state of Israel. I mean, nobody in their right mind that is listening to the show right now and anybody in our panel right now is going to say otherwise. Oh no, they're kidding around. Oh no, they are not kidding around. I mean, you know, and you can't negotiate with terrorists. No, you can't negotiate with terrorists because it's not in the same mindset. If you had the same mindset and, you know, uh, obviously the terrorists don't care if anybody dies from their end because they're martyrs. If they if they could take a blood of an Israeli person. I can't tell somebody who wants to kill me. Uh, look, look, let's negotiate. Maybe you don't really want to kill me. If they want to kill yeah. me, they want to kill me. And there's nothing to negotiate. I want to kill you. Exactly. I want to kill you. What, what am I negotiating? And they're, and they're very intent on doing just that. Mark, you have anything to say? Because we're, we're just about out of time. No, I, I just think uh, the action needs to come quickly and it needs to be swift. Swift and quick action is what we are calling on. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Pleasure. I am Our, our pleasure. I am Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. We are heard live on the True Talk Radio Network. We'll be back again next week. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you again next week right here on truetalkradio.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com and click on like. 
for the Howie Silberger Show. So find the Howie Silberger Show and click on like. Visit the blog at HowieSilberger.com and uh, listen to the live stream on TrueTalkRadio.com. We have shows that air all week long. It's a very interesting station, so feel free to listen to it. Thank you so much for joining me, and I will see you again next week right here on TrueTalkRadio.com.